You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, how's everybody doing? Oh, that was terrible. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Awesome. My favorite color, light blue with a tint of mint. Uh, awesome. I'm excited for this morning. Um, we get to dive in. We're continuing this series, everyone. We are talking about what it looks like, uh, what the, the stories of Jesus, and as he uh, started his ministry and as he went through life, how he interacted and engaged with people. Um, and as he was interacting and engaging with people, they came to know who he was uh, in a beautiful way. And so this is about our uh, calling as believers, as people who profess faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to go share his good news with everyone. And so we entitled the series, Everyone, because we're looking at these stories where Jesus brought his good news, that the kingdom is come in him, the person Jesus, and that he's come to bring life and relationship to the world and, so, and to restore all things. And so we are talking about uh, these different stories and how our story kind of relates and correlates with these stories. So if you have a Bible, grab it, Luke chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the aisles, uh, and so one of the things that we want you to hold the Word of God in your hand, um, we want you to follow along with us. Um, There's some on the tables as well. Um, Anybody uh, realize that Halloween already started coming early this year, and then uh, Christmas is like just around the corner? It's crazy how time is just absolutely flying. I took my girls, I do these daddy-daughter dates, so any time I have, I have four girls if you don't know, um, and anytime I get an opportunity to take one of my girls and take them to the store or to do something, we call them daddy-daughter dates. And so I was going to Home Depot, and so I grabbed a couple of my daughters, and we're walking into Home Depot, and it is like Halloween Horror Nights in Home Depot. I mean, these massive, I don't know who would spend $600, maybe you, um, on a massive, just scary thing that moves and goes, <laughs> right? And uh, you're just like, what is happening here? So I'm like trying to guard my girl's eyes from these things because they're going to have nightmares for the next like month. Um, and uh, just thinking about Halloween and what it represents and, and how our culture has kind of latched on to this, this season. And I was wondering and thinking and pondering as I was reading this story, um, why is there such a desire in people's hearts and minds to dress up in costumes and to put on these masks? Because I feel like... Um, there's a deep desire in people to be something that they're not and to hide who they are. I mean, Halloween, you get to be anything you want, right? So you're talking to your kids and you're like, hey, what do you want to be for Halloween? And they say, I want to be a, a, a princess, a mermaid, something that they aren't in everyday life. And, and I think our culture is kind of enamored with this, being somebody that you are not. Being something different than who God has created you to be. And I think our culture desires that. Um, One, because I think we have a huge identity problem in our lives. Um, We are, uh, we we look in the mirror, we don't like what we see, and so we want to change it. We want to be something different. Not, Not always is that bad or wrong that we see something and say, hey, we need to grow in this area or do this differently, but I'm talking about at the core of who we are. We have an identity issue. It's not just a holiday thing. I think uh, I was talking to some uh, 
some new friends that are from my uh, college, my alma mater. And I was thinking my freshman, the first week of my freshman year, I mean, everybody tried to be something they weren't, right? Everybody, you, you, I went to a private school over on the other coast, uh, Palm Beach Atlantic University. You stepped foot on campus. It was a Christian school um, and uh, on the beach. And I remember going the first week, and everybody was their high school quarterback. I mean, I don't know how that is, but every guy was the high school quarterback and the worship leader in their youth group. Um, and so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was, the, I was two-time all-neighborhood, right? And, you know, they're talking about, you know, all these things. And then you get to the green, and you grab a football, and you're like, hey, man, catch. And, right? And then he catches it, and he goes to throw it, and he ducks it up there. A duck is when the ball doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. Um, and you're like, thought you were the high school quarterback, man. And he's like, oh, yeah, my arm, my shoulder, man, ouch, injury, right? And it's like, man, we're trying to be something that we're not. Um, and, and what we see here is that Christianity it's not a costume you put on. It's not something you try to be. It's believing that someone has come to replace you altogether. And I think when we allow our culture to creep into our identity, we think we have to try to be something and do something, and then we form this man-made religion, and that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about a person who has come to absolutely replace you. See, this is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. I love what uh, Robert Farrar Capon, an old theologian, said. So Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is the proclamation of the end of religion, not of a new religion or even of the best of all religions. If the cross is a sign of anything, it is a sign that God has gone out of the religion business and solved all of the world's problems without requiring a single human being to do a single religious thing. What the cross is actually a sign of is the fact that religion can't do a thing about the world's problems, that it never did work and it never will. I think for some, um, this idea that you bring nothing to the table, that you can do nothing to earn God's favor, they would respond to that and say that that's cheap grace. What we need to understand is that grace is not cheap. It is absolutely free. You cannot bring anything to the table. And I think the issue with our culture and America is that it's not about cheap grace it's that we've actually cheapened the law. The law, this, the, 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 really the first five books of the Bible and the, and the rules and the regulations and all the stuff that we see in here, what it does is it says to be in relationship with God, what is required of you and what is required of me is 100% perfection. That's what's required. And if we cheapen that and we say, oh, just be a good person and God will love you, or be a good person and you can have salvation, you know, just be above the curve, right? If you're at 51%, you're good, right? Good, goodness factor, if you could just kind of be better than the people around you, maybe be a little better than your neighbors, right? Don't be as crazy as that HOA president guy, right? If you could just do that, then you're okay. Now, what we've done then is we've cheapened the law because the law requires 100% perfection from you. But what Christ has done, what Christ has done is he's come to complete the law to complete it, to completely live the life that you couldn't live. Die on a cross unjustly to receive all that you have done wrong and then to be raised again, defeating death, hell, and the grave. 
That's the good news of the gospel. And I think that when we think of the gospel, when we think of the simple way, like when we talk about sharing good news, what do we share? We're supposed to share that there is a God. There was a God that created all things. And that God created man and woman in his image, beautiful, in perfect relationship with himself. But man sinned. When man sinned, humanity sinned, it severed relationship with God. And so God's response, not as a plan B, not as um, an afterthought, but as the beginning of time thought, sends his son Jesus so that we can have life in him. And there requires a response. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is your Lord and Savior? In its simplest form, God, humanity, Jesus' response is the gospel. But culturally, we add to that. Culturally, we say, we see God, we talk about humanity, we talk about humanity's sin, and then we all of a sudden throw all of this progress and performance into the mix. And then you be a good person and you do good things and you, you try harder and you be better and you pull up your bootstraps and you get to work. And then Jesus will save you so that you can respond and do better and be better and try harder. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus replaces you so that you may have life in him. I love what Tillian Tavigian says. He says, the problem is not the sin that we know we have. It's the righteousness that we think we have in and of ourselves. Enter the Pharisees that we're about to talk about. This is actually the first time in this series that we're talking about someone that actually sat and dined and enjoyed Jesus um, and didn't respond positively, didn't follow him as their Lord and Savior. Um, and so I think this is really important for us as a church to understand that when we share the gospel, their response is not up to us. Okay? We good? Let's dive in. Luke chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 33 because I want to give us some context to this passage. Sometimes when you're just going into the Bible and you're, you're reading a specific story, you don't get the full context, and I really want us to understand the context that we're coming into when he uh, engages with the Pharisees. So he's talking to a group of people. There are crowds. They're increasing. We see that in verse 29 of Luke 11. And then in verse 33, Jesus is speaking. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it, uh, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it, when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of life, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Okay, so contextually, Jesus is talking about light and darkness. He's talking about what is on the inside. So as he's speaking about this, there is a Pharisee. Pharisees are religious leaders of that day. They are the pastor, the bishop, the, um, I don't know what some other ones are, right? They're, they're, they're the lead person that understands and knows the law. So this Pharisee, while Jesus was speaking, verse 37, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Now, this is a big deal. This is one of the only times that a Pharisee invited Jesus into his 
whether it was home or an environment where they were dining together. Dining with one another in that day, I think for us as well, is a pretty intimate setting, right? You sit down, you're enjoying a meal together. This is a good thing. And so he asked them to dine with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at the table. So here we have this environment of relaxation, an environment where they're about to engage in relationship with one another. What does the Pharisee do? Verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So God, knowing all things, what does he do? So the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Listen, if Jesus is using a word that is super strong ever in Scripture, this word fool is it. You fools. The, the, the translation actually sometimes could be the word stupid, which we tell our kids not to say. Right? He's, you fools. He says, Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So this word alms means mercy. Give mercy those things that are within you, right? So the the greed and the wickedness. Then he says, 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rule and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. See, these things you ought to have done. Now he's speaking about the tithe of the things that they have. He says, these things you should have done without neglecting the others, which is justice and the love of God. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. I don't know about you, but as I was reading this story over and over again this week, I was realizing how much I relate to these Pharisees. How often I depend on my outward appearance and I try to mask up the real reality of what's inside because I think I have to perform, because I think I have to put on a show. It's like Halloween, putting on a costume. When the reality is God is concerned about what's on the inside. And it is what's on the inside that will shine out, right? Hey, listen, we can, we can smell a fake from a mile away. Am I right? I mean, you could throw as many Samsung commercials as you want on the TV. It's not an iPhone. Sorry, sorry, Sean. <laughs> um, but here's the deal. Like, like we, we, we are conditioned to know what is, what is fake in our world. When somebody gets up and says something that you know isn't true, we can smell it. We can sniff it out. We're conditioned for that. What he's saying is, if you're going to go and proclaim good news that there is a Savior that has come to bring you life, yet you are lifeless, what's on the inside is going to shine out because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, here's some characteristics that we see of these Pharisees. In verse 39, they are greedy and wicked. How would you like that to be defining you? Greedy and wicked. And I know that sometimes that we do things that are full of greed and we do things that may be sinful and wicked. But I mean, this is what defines them at their core. Jesus knows their true heart. It's as though he has this like 
nest cam that he has inserted into their minds and into their hearts. Imagine if we had something like that. Who would be embarrassed? Like, Jesus knows the hearts and the minds of these men. And he's looking inside of them and saying, you are greedy and wicked on the inside. You put forth this idea that you are super generous. You tithe, you give, you serve. Yet on the inside, you are filthy. What else did he say? Verse 42. There's this idea of legalism. What are you Pharisees, right? You're doing all these outward things, but you're neglecting justice and the love of God. Verse 43. They're glory mongers. What does that mean? They're all about self. They want the glory. They go into places and they expect people to rise up and stand in their honor. They want to walk around. I don't know if any of you watched the the series The Chosen um, that recently came out on VidAngel. Um, But you see these Pharisees, a visual of these Pharisees walking through the marketplaces. And they actually want people to stop and actually stand up and look at them as they pass because they're wearing these ornate robes and they're, they're dressed all elaborately and they want people to glory in them. That's what their focus was. Their focus was having everybody look at me. Does that sound familiar? Okay, no, not you, just me. Okay, all right. I'll take off my mask. Verse 44. And then he says, woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing them. They're mask wearers. These unmarked graves would have been things that were, were on the ground that maybe a brush had covered, or um, they were just unclean, or they were dirty, so they couldn't see what they were. So people would think they were just a stone, and so they would walk over them. But back then, part of the law was that they couldn't touch any desecration of a grave or anything like that, anything that was unclean. And so people would walk over these unmarked graves not knowing that they were desecrating themselves. Because right? if they went to a cemetery and actually touched a, a tombstone, say, they would have to go through a purification washing. Um, and so they, they didn't even know it because these things were unmarked. They were dirty. They were filthy. They were on the ground and they would walk over them and not even know it. They were wearing masks. They were putting on these masks and they were hiding what they really were, that they were desecrating everything that they co- came in contact with. So we can see that they're wicked and greedy, legalistic, glory mongers, mass wearers. But as I was reading this, the biggest problem that I actually saw here was that the creator of the universe, creator of the universe, the Bible says that when speaking of Jesus, that all things were created in him and through him and by him and for him. That in the beginning of time, when God spoke and he started creating, he was creating through the power of Jesus. That Jesus in the flesh was sitting at their table. He was reclining with them. He was dining with them. He was entering into relationship with them. And all they could focus on was that he didn't wash. All they can focus on was the rules and the regulations that they had established. And when I realized that, that the biggest problem here was all of that filth that was inside of them came out in the moment where they're sitting with the creator of all things and they didn't care at all 
about relationship. They didn't care at all of the fact that they were standing on holy ground before the creator of all things. What they cared about was that he needed to wash his hands. How often do we spend all of our time, effort, and energy focusing on all the outward things when inside we're filthy? When inside we are full of all these things that the Bible calls sin. All of it. Sin. And so... Jesus was fully available to these Pharisees. And they didn't receive him because of their pride, their selfishness, their self-sufficiency, their self-righteousness, self, 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 their performance, not their dependence. I think that's why our Christian culture is so consumed with masks and Golden Globe performances. Put on the show. Act like you got it together. Look at the character of Jesus. Let's contrast it real quick. We look at verse 39 and contrast Jesus' character with verse 39. He was generous. He was holy. He was not greedy and wicked. Verse 42, he was full of grace, not legalism. 43, his primary goal was to reflect glory to his father. 44, he was true, not wearing a mask. The gospel, this good news, is not about what we do. It's about what God has done. It's this inside, inward transformation. And I desperately want to measure my personal progress in performance. And guess what? I do it to all you too. Yeah, right? Do we not do that to each other? Right? I, want, I, I personally, right? I, I desperately want to measure my personal progress in performance. Right? I want to I wanna get on the conveyor belt, go through 101, 201, 301, get better, try harder. But then I just take that and I look at everybody around me. I'm going, well, she's, she's not doing this and she's not doing this and he's not doing that. We look at other people's lives. It's much easier to see the issues in other people's lives. Am I right? Is this too heavy? I'm sorry. You guys are dead. It's so easy to look around and be like, man, they're jacked up. That's what the Pharisees did. I mean, they're sitting with the holy creator of all things. And like, "Mm," he didn't wash his hands. So easy to look at the splinter that is in a brother than to see the plank that's in my own eye. And so, To clarify, I think before we keep going, I want to make sure that we understand that pursuing and enjoying Jesus is beautiful. So I'm not saying that uh, when I say progress and performance is negative. I'm not saying that it's not a good thing to enjoy Jesus. What I'm saying is, is that if our sole purpose is to get better and try harder and do more so that the focus of everybody around us is on us, then we're stealing the glory from God. But if our focus in trying to spend more time with Jesus and pray and read his word is because he's sitting at the table and we're dining with him and we're enjoying him, then that's beautiful. Does that make sense? Trying to pursue and enjoy self-glorification, that's actually sin. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. These Pharisees were, were all about what they did, not what Christ has done. I think if I see another post on any social media platform that says the best is in you, trust yourself, 
follow your heart, I'm going to literally throw up. Why? Because here's what the Bible says. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Isaiah 64, 6. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Don't trust your heart. It is wicked. Don't trust yourself. You're going to make really poor choices. The best is not in you. Wickedness is in you. And what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that will then come out when you depend fully in him. See, if you keep speaking self-help lies over yourselves, you will miss Jesus who is reclining at the table just like the Pharisee did. This isn't about self-help. This is about full dependence in the gospel in Christ. Christians, the gospel is just, much, just as much for you as it is for every non-believer that's out there. Every morning, we have to wake up and proclaim the good news of the gospel over ourselves. If we don't do that, we are missing it. We have to remember that the gospel is an every day, every hour, every minute, every second thing that we need to fully depend in for ourselves, not to accomplish so that we can then get others to accomplish it as well. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew to the Pharisees when he said the seven woes to the Pharisees. He kept saying, you are making those that are following you twice as much a child of hell than you are because you're teaching them to depend fully in themselves and not in you. Him, Jesus. So, here's the connection to this series. God commands us to share his good news with everyone. But the result is not up to us. And we have to know the good news that we are sharing with people. See, if we think that sharing good news with people is telling them that they need to go to church and do these five things and, and um, be a better person and get their act together and pull their bootstraps up, if we think that that's the goal of Christianity, then we're missing it. The goal of Christianity is to be enamored with the person of Jesus. And as we are enamored with the person of Jesus, our lives change and transform. See, there's a difference. We try to get our acts together and do all these things so that God loves us versus God saying, love me and these things will change. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, and I love how the NLT paraphrases this. So as we enjoy Jesus, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But those who are being saved, we are life-giving perfume. You have to understand that when we share good news with people, that there is a God who loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us and raise again so that we can have a restored relationship with God. When we tell people that story, Christmas is coming up. Right? We're about to celebrate his birth. When we start telling people that story, some people will respond positively. It'll be life to them, a fragrance of life. For some people, it will be a fragrance of death. And that's not up to you. The Spirit of God will work in and through you and through his word 
to accomplish what it desires to accomplish. So, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. I love this beautiful table that is set before us. For a long time, I thought that I couldn't come take communion because I knew the sin that was in me. And I felt like if I were to go take it, that I would um, have bad things happen to me. But in that moment, I'm forgetting what this represents. The bread is Christ's body that he broke for us. There is restoration in that bread. And then the cup is is his blood that is poured out for us, that covers us so that when God looks at us, he sees Christ. If you've professed faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if God has brought you from death to life, if you understand that this isn't about religion, but it's about relationship, if all of that is true, then you are fully secure through the power of the cross. And so you are not unworthy to come forward to take communion. You are fully worthy because of what Jesus has done, not what you did this past week. That's what this represents. Jesus is reclining at the table, inviting every single person that wants to come in and dine with him. Are you going to be a Pharisee that's sitting there trying to find everything wrong with everything around you and building up all the things that you've done well and how you've got nothing wrong in your life? Or are you going to be like the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes that ran to the feet of Jesus, knowing that they were unworthy, but that in him they had life, and in him they had joy, and in him they had everything that they could ever need, want, or desire. That's the beauty of this table right here, that we get to come and we get to sit and enjoy and recline with our Savior he loves us and you do nothing to deserve it and that's good news amen so here's what we're going to do we're going to spend some time Ben is going to come he's going to start playing I would ask that you would just sit with your savior I don't think we spend enough time in our week just sitting and being and listening it's not listen to uh, maybe a missed note or, you know, uh, something that gets dropped in the back. Because we can get distracted, and I think that's a tool of the devil, right? That he tries to distract us with little noises or people passing by through the windows. But let's try to focus our hearts and minds. I think that's why we close our eyes. Just kind of close out everything that's going on around us. Um, it's not because you're super holy. You just do it because you're not holy enough to stay not distracted from the things around you. We close our eyes. We sit. And remember that there is a God who has invited us to enjoy Him. And if your hands are dirty, and your feet are dirty, and your, your soul is tired, and you're anxious, and you're worried, you're fearful, and you would go stand and look in the mirror and say, man, I've really screwed it up this week. And what I want you to know is that the good news of this table is for you. So no matter where you're coming in here this morning, God invites you to sit 
and dine and recline and enjoy him. Amen. Jesus, I know that in Scripture you give us a warning that says, do not come in an unworthy manner to this table. And what we're looking at this morning in this passage is a group of people who were self-righteous and self-reliant who tried to approach a table with you in an unworthy manner because they thought that they could live their lives apart from you. That's what being unworthy is. Someone who thinks that in and of themselves they can figure it out and do it on their own. But this table right now is for us who are broken, who are hurting, who are sinful, who don't have it all together. And for those that realize that they could never do enough to earn your love, those are the the people, God, that you invite to come and sit and dine and enjoy you who realize they can't do it alone. So all of our self-dependence, all of our self-righteousness, all of our selfishness, God, I pray that right now you would begin to Pull that away from us. Remove our desire to have it all together, to pull off the mask, to pull off the costumes, to fall at your feet. Just like Mary did, God. Weep over the sin that is inside of us and just lay it all at your feet. And then to receive your body and your blood in remembrance, knowing that it covers everything, past, present, in future. Thank you, Lord, for the cross and thank you for the empty tomb. We have a God that is alive, that's living, that's active, that has sent his spirit into us, that cries, Abba, Father, on our behalf. So God, if we are hurting because of sickness in our family or death or uh, job loss, or uncertainty of the future, whatever it may be, God, I pray that we would come and find hope and restoration, forgiveness, love, mercy, grace, as we enjoy you and sing praises to your name. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.